Well, today we're going to uh, <clears throat> continue our studies in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look specifically at the issues of truth and commitment. And we're going to do that by looking at Jesus' teaching on oaths. So uh, if you uh, would, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Uh, I noticed some of you are technologically advanced and have iPads and so forth. So for those of you who are doing that, please turn on your Bible and scroll down to where... Again, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Well, before we get to the issues of truth and commitment, uh, I want to remind you a little bit, give you a little background of what was going on in Judea at the time that Jesus was uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount. The Pharisees were a sect or a section or we might call it a denomination of the Jewish religion at that time. And they were extremely zealous to obey every detail of the law of God. But they had a problem. And the problem is men can't keep God's law. The, the standards are too high. You know, we, we lie. We steal, we lust, we hate. We can't, we can't keep God's law. So, so what the Pharisees did to um, eliminate that problem was they reinterpreted God's law. And they created their own rules and regulations, supposedly out of God's law and to enhance God's law. But in fact, um, they weren't. But these were regulations and laws, they, or rules, that they could keep. And, and the reason they could keep them was that the rules only looked to the external performance of the rules. They ignored issues of the heart. And the Pharisees believed that by keeping their own man-made rules, they could create their own righteousness and be acceptable to God. And, and in fact, they were so proud and so self-righteous and so arrogant that they could actually go into the temple and pray as it tells us in Luke 18 verses 11 and 12. God, thank you I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or this tax collector right here next to me. They could actually say that. And in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus directly attacks the Pharisees' system of self-righteousness. He doesn't try to accommodate it. He doesn't try to modify it. He doesn't try to be politically correct. 
He attacks it to destroy it. And the key to the Sermon on the Mount is in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, where Jesus tells the people, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught that righteousness is not a matter of spiritual accounting. It's not when you die, there's some ledger book for your spiritual uh, status where you have merits and demerits, and if you get more merits than demerits, then you're in. It's not the way it works. He reminded the people that God demands perfection. He said, be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. Now, on the, on the portion of the Sermon on the Mount we've been studying recently, uh, Jesus deals with six specific moral issues to make this point about God's law. And in doing so, He repeats the phrase, you have heard it said, but I tell you, six times, one at the uh, beginning of each uh, section, and each time he tells the listeners what the Pharisees were saying, and then he says, but I tell you. And, and uh, each time he contrasts their legalistic system with the laws of God. Now, the first three sections, if you recall, dealt with murder, adultery, and divorce. And the section we're going to be uh, studying today is the fourth, I, uh, you have heard it said, but I tell you. It's a, se- a section that deals with oaths. Now, you might think that oaths don't have a lot of relevance to us today, that uh, uh, we don't see those very much. But Jesus' teaching on oaths shows that we are to be truthful when we say something, and that we are to be committed to do in what we in fact say. And that point is emphasized in, uh, this, uh, in this section on oaths because it's the only one of the six sections in the Sermon on the Mount that deals with what we say, what comes out of our mouth. And if you remember, um, this is extremely important to Jesus because He said in Matthew 15, 11, it is not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And James in chapter 3 verse 2 said, for we all stumble in many ways, and I probably stumble more than most, but we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. So anytime you see a reference in Scripture to speaking, or the tongue. You should pay careful attention to it because it's vitally important. Well, first it might be helpful if we uh, understood what an oath is. And in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 16 it tells us that an oath is when people swear by something greater than themselves. Now, the Greek word for oath is horkos, and it means binding or strengthening. And what happens is, uh, in the context of oaths, 
and promises and vows. It means you are looking for something to strengthen your credibility with uh, on what you say by calling on something or someone that's greater than yourself. Now, oaths taken in Jesus' day were considered to be binding and strengthening because they called upon God to curse the person who was making the oath if it was a lie or if the oath failed. But think about it a minute. Why would, why would anybody take an oath at all? Okay? If you're telling the truth and you're committed to doing what you say, you don't need an oath. You, you, um, uh, why would you put yourself under the possible curse of God if something goes wrong? On the other hand, if you're lying and you don't intend to follow through with your oath, you're not committed to do that, why would you take an oath? Because you know you're asking God to curse you right there. And unfortunately, the answer to that is because all of us lie from time to time, to one extent or another. And it doesn't depend on our environment or our potty training or whatever a psychologist might say. It's in our very nature. And I think David said it best in Psalm 51. He said, a sinner I was born and a sinner I was conceived. So it's in our DNA. It's right there. Now, if you don't believe me, you think maybe lying is learned or environmental or something like that. Um, let me ask you a question. How many of you either have right now or have had little kids? Okay, then you're going to, you should understand. Let's suppose you have a little kid, you know, about that high, just learn to talk, just learn to walk, and you know, I walk into the living room and I look and I say, Johnny, did you just spill ink on mommy's white carpet? And he's standing there with an empty ink bottle right over that. Right? And he says, no. <laughs> you don't have to teach kids to lie. You have to teach them to tell the truth. Now, at one time or another, all of us have lied, and you know, we're going to lie again, maybe today, if not tomorrow. So making a, a promise to somebody to get them to do something, or a transaction where you're promising something, it's not going to get you anywhere if they think you're lying. And so we try to get people to believe us by strengthen our, strengthening our credibility with an oath. In effect, we're saying God is a guarantor of our truthfulness, or He's a partner in this deal with us, so you can believe us. That's why we take oaths, because otherwise we wouldn't be able to have transactions. And the bottom line is that oaths are simply a product of man's fallen nature and deceitful heart. Now, truth and commitment are, are timeless issues, no question about that. Um, 
but you might say, well, well gee, why, you know, why oaths today? They took a lot of oaths then. Do we really do that today? And uh, I think it's a little more common than you might appreciate. For example, you're certainly going to hear somebody say, I swear to God I'm telling the truth. Or I swear that I, you know, went there uh, or went to school instead of um, going to the beach. Okay, those are oaths. Another oath everybody pretty much understands, an oath or a vow, it's the same thing, is when you get married. You said, before God and these witnesses, I take thee to be my lawful wedded you know, husband or wife. That's an oath. And it calls on the name of God. But we often swear oaths without really noticing it. Anybody here ever get a traffic ticket? Well, a few of you. Um, I did. And, you know, the cop comes over and he writes up the ticket. He says, here, sign this. You know, okay, so you sign it. Right above that, there's a little printed oath. I declare under penalty perjury that I will appear in court. Have you ever applied for an insurance policy? You got to tell them something about, you know, your car, if it's car insurance or your driving record, or if it's home insurance, uh, you know, what your house is worth and all that kind of stuff. They ask for that information, and then they ask you to sign that application. And the application, right above your signature, is going to have an oath. How about a credit card application? You're going to tell them what your income is and how rich you really are, and so they can give you a high limit. There's an oath right ab printed right above your signature line. Or a loan application. You're going to get a loan on a house. And you're going to make sure they understand why your 1989 Buick is really worth $18,000 and, you know, that you're worthy, worthy of a loan. How about a tax return? This is tax season. There's a lot of accountants that are working day and night to um, prepare tax returns. But it doesn't matter who prepares the return. If it's your return, you have to sign it. And when you sign it, take a look. It says right above your signature line, under penalties of perjury, I declare that I have examined this return and the accompanying statements and schedules, and to the best of my knowledge and belief, they are true, correct, and complete. That's an oath. So we sign a lot of oaths. Maybe we don't really notice it. One, one oath that people do notice, I think, is when they're going to be a witness in court. And the court clerk says, you know, raise your right hand. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. Well, the courts have turned their back on God. So it's a little tough to figure out what you're swearing by or to. But nevertheless, that's, they're swearing an oath. And, and um, you would think people take that pretty seriously. Well, as you, you may know, uh, I used to practice law years ago. And uh, when I was practicing law, I was on a panel of attorneys where the court system would call attorneys if there was going to be a judge on vacation or sick, a regular judge on vacation or sick or something, 
and they'd ask you to come in for a day and sit as a temporary judge. And I did that. I did it, you know, quite a few times. And most of the time, uh, I was sitting as a judge in traffic court. Okay? Now, every offender, <laughs> every defendant was sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You wouldn't believe the excuses that I heard <laughs> of why they're not guilty with a ticket. Uh, it got so bad. One time, one time, uh, I was going to go out there. It was down in Metro. Now, if you want to have some people visiting from other cities, um, CLA, take them to Metro Traffic Court. <laughs> okay? But uh, so I was, uh, I was going to go out, but I got so frustrated, I called the bailiff in. He's the, you know, the sheriff's deputy that uh, uh, keeps order in the court. And I said, look, before I go out there and start the court hearing, there's about 100 people out there. They're all under oath. I said, I want you to go out and make an announcement. Okay? I want you to go out and tell people that if their testimony to defend their ticket is going to be, my car won't go that fast, forget it. Just go pay the fine. <laughs> you see somebody with a ticket 35 miles an hour in a school zone, and they say, my car won't go that fast. And they're, and they're under oath. They're under oath. So, um, look, God knows our hearts. And He knows that the best of us lie from time to time. And He also knows that we're going to use oaths to convince people that we're telling the truth. Now, God never required anybody to take an oath. But I think as an accommodation to our fallen nature, God allows oaths. He recognized that they're going to be used. And He didn't say it was a sin. But God also knew that oaths could be used for evil purposes, for deceitful purposes. So He laid down some rules for the use of oaths. God's first rule is that oaths be made in His name only. Deuteronomy 6.13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Isaiah 65.16, he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. And another one, Jeremiah 12.16, and it shall come to pass if they will diligently learn the ways of my people they will swear by my name as the Lord lives. So, God's second rule of oaths is because, is because you swear in His name, and the third commandment tells you that His name cannot be taken in vain. And when you take an oath on frivolous matters, you just bandy His name about. Or you take it lying. That is taking his name in vain. And oaths are not to be used, the rule is oaths are not to be used for frivolous or everyday matters. God demands that oaths must be used in serious situations only. Oaths are not to be about ordinary conversations and so forth. Now, in the time of Jesus, because of, of the 
the way the Pharisees were reinterpreting these rules, people took oaths every place, every conversation, every little transaction. Um, and they used oaths to cover up lies, particularly where they're under pressure. Let me, let me give you an example. Do you remember the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was bound and taken to the chief priest's home for this trial, mock trial. And he, the house was a big house. It had a courtyard outside. And Peter and another disciple got access to that courtyard. And while they were there, some little maidservant came up to Peter and said, you know, weren't you with Jesus? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. Now that's a lie, but it's not an oath. But then, a little bit later, somebody else came up to him and said, you were with Jesus. Matthew 26 tells us, says, again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. He's using an oath to cover up his lie. And after a little while, bystanders came up and said to him, said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. He had a Galilean accent. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Now this cursing and swearing, this isn't potty talk, this isn't profanity. This is calling God to curse him if he's lying. And I will assure you, Peter never forgot that situation. What he had done, what he had lied, and asked God to curse him. Even when God blessed him so he could bless others. God's third rule is that when an oath is made, it must be kept. In other words, your promise should be spoken with the truth. And you should be committed to following through with what you said. Leviticus 19.12 You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. Swearing falsely profanes God's name. Numbers 30, verse 2 If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do all that proceeds out of his mouth. And in Deuteronomy 23:21, if you make an oath, uh, make a vow to the Lord your God, you will not delay in fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will require it of you. So oaths must be kept. You must be committed to performing the promise that you've made. And you must do that even if it turns out that it hurts. Psalm 15, verses 1 through 4. Who shall sojourn on your, in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now, God's fourth rule of, of oaths is that the penalty for breaking your oath is severe. You want to see that? Look at the third commandment. In Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
Okay, we understand that. But then it goes on to say, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That is the only one of the Ten Commandments that has a specific penalty for a specific person that violates it. That's how important it is. And Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, same effect. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands, a pure heart, who does not lift his soul up to what is false, and does not swear an oath in order to deceive. Now, God had uh, some other rules, I think not, not as important as those, but nevertheless rules um, about oaths. For example, a witness in court must tell the truth. I mean, the Sixth Commandment is clear about that. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That goes into a, a lot of issues about truth, but certainly about truth in court. And another one that's kind of interesting was when God, um, when a judge used God's name to put a witness under oath, the witness was required to answer the question. And again, I'll give you a little example about that. When um, Jesus, that night he was betrayed, he was taken to the high priest's house. They had their little trial. And the, uh, th there were these witnesses that they brought in. There were false testimony. They couldn't get their act together. There was a lot of allegations. Jesus didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. Then the uh, high priest got angry because he wasn't saying a word. And in Matthew 26, verses 62 to 64, it says, And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that all these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus answered. He said to him, You have said so. But I tell you that from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, Jesus did not answer that because he was afraid. And he didn't answer it because he wanted to make a, you know, a theological statement. He did it because he was obeying Leviticus 5.1 that says, when the judge puts you under oath, you must testify. It's amazing. Jesus obeyed every detail of Scripture. The ones we would pass up, you'd never think about. He was answering because he was obeying God's rule on oaths. Now, I'd like, I'd like to make it easy for you to remember um, the rules about oaths. Just the, the, the fundamental rule is this. Your oath must be truthful when made, and you must be committed to fulfilling your oath. That's easy. The rest of it are details. Now, you know, God's law, as I said, demands perfection. Uh, it demands that we tell the truth and we be committed to doing whatever we say. You know, just following through most of the time or part of the time isn't going to get it. So the problem is, of course, we're not perfect and we can't meet a perfect standard. You know that if you look in your own heart. 
And the Pharisees knew it. They were just as aware of the imperfections in their heart as we are. And that's why, as I said at the beginning, they reinterpreted God's laws. And in reinterpreting them, they created these rules that they could keep, and they lowered God's standard. And they made it external rather than a matter of their heart. And so when Jesus at the, at, uh, the beginning of the section on oath says, you have heard it said, he tells what they were saying. They were saying, you shall swear, not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, if you say that fast, or if you don't think about it very much, then it sounds pretty good. But, but that's not an accurate statement of God's laws. And with this kind of interpretation, what they did was move the focus from truthfulness over to exactly what the wording was of your oath. And they developed these elaborate rules for saying what wording is binding and what wording is not binding. These, these um, deceitful oaths became so common because, I mean, what they were doing was they were giving you a pathway. Hey, here's the roadmap for telling lies when using an oath. And, and so these things became so common that they were actually a joke in Roman society. And some, uh, a, a Jewish merchant might say, I swear by the hair on my head that this rug is an original and good shape and whatever is worth the money. Or we might say, I swear by the temple that I will deliver that merchandise to you in two days if you pay me today. And he felt absolutely no obligation, moral or legal, to do what he had just vowed to do. And you know what? His religious leaders taught that he had no obligation if he used the words I just used. Because they were saying, only an oath that uses the name of God is binding in any way. And this problem of deceitful oaths was so important that you'll find Jesus in the book of Matthew attacks it twice. Once here, what we're talking about, and once in chapter 23 where he's giving, you know, saying the woes to the, uh, the Pharisees. Woe to you. So on. You can take a look at that. But notice what had happened. The Pharisees had now twisted God's law and in, and in doing so they violated every one of the four rules that I just gave you. They were encouraging people to take an oath that was not in God's name. They were encouraging people to take an oath in frivolous everyday transactions and conversation. They were teaching you didn't have to keep the oath you took. And they were teaching that there was no penalty for not keeping the oath as long as it didn't name God specifically or some uh, attribute of God. Now, uh, in, our, in our passage uh, that we're talking about, Jesus attacks these made-up rules in two ways. 
The first way is he takes the Pharisees on on their own terms. They claim that only an oath that named God specifically or named a specific attribute or something of God was binding. So, in effect, Jesus said, okay, let's assume that's true. You don't know the nature of God, Pharisees. He said, it doesn't matter what you base your oath on, whether it's a name of God or the temple or the hair on your head. The whole world is God's. He created it. He sustains it. And it all belongs to Him. Just as it says in Psalm 50 where God is saying, For every beast of the forest is mine and cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. So Jesus was pointing out that if you swear by the temple or the altar or the hair on your head or the city or however hard you try, there's not going to be an oath that doesn't relate to some attribute or aspect of God. Now secondly, the second um, uh, attack was that let's go back to the heart of the matter. Truth and commitment are not a matter of words. They must come from a righteousness of the heart. And that's why Jesus said, but I tell you, do not swear at all. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, by the way, one of the continuing issues that, that you hear about uh, in connection with this passage is the question of whether Jesus was saying literally or figuratively, don't take an oath, never take an oath. The, the Anabaptists in prior centuries, the uh, Quakers today, take it literally and they will say in court, can't take an oath, won't take an oath, that uh, violates God's law. I, I don't think that's right. I, oaths are not completely forbidden. You know, God took an oath in His own name to accommodate Abraham's, uh, uh, you know, fallen nature in wondering whether he could believe God about the amazing promises that God was making. And then if you look in Scripture, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, they all made oaths. They all spoke with oaths. And even in the New Testament, Paul took an oath when the um, Corinthians wanted to know why he hadn't visited them again. And in 2 Corinthians, right at the beginning of that letter, uh, chapter 1, verse 23, he says, But I call on God as a witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. And even Jesus, when he was confronted with an oath from the judge to testify, he didn't say, oh no, I'm not taking any oaths, not doing that. He obeyed God's law about oaths. So I don't think Jesus, by making this statement about don't take oaths, was changing God's law. 
I think he was just bringing us back to reality. You know, in, in Matthew, uh, again, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, verse 17, 517, he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's not trying to change the law. So, swearing an oath is not a sin, and it isn't forbidden by Jesus. God's law still remains that oaths are to be truthful, they're to be in solemn matters, and they have to be fulfilled. Now, Christians of, of all people ought to be salt and light, standing out from the unbelieving crowd, the people in, still in darkness. And they should be standing out and being a light by conduct and by reliability, by truthfulness. If we're truly born again, we should have a behavior such that our word can be trusted without an oath. And, and our faith should show as a light. It should be strong enough so that people know if you're a Christian, your word can be trusted. And that's what Jesus was saying when he said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. If your personal credibility is as high as it ought to be as a Christian, you won't need to use an oath. The only way you'll use an oath is because of the evil nature of man. And that's what he's saying. Anything else comes from evil. You know, people watch us. They watch me and they watch you. And what I do greatly influences what they think of you as a Christian. And what you do influences what they think of me as a Christian. So, so let your faith in God and your respect for other Christians guide you to be truthful and to be committed when you're making promises and let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, one, one last thing I'd like to say um, that I think is, is very important. And that is on the subject of oaths. You're supposed to be truthful. You're supposed to be committed to performing your oaths, your vows. And sometimes it gets a little tough, whether it's marriage vows, repayment of loans, or anything else. And so you can sit there and say, I have a will of iron. I am committed. I'm going to do it. I, I'm, I'm going to be strong, and I'm going to do it. Be careful about that. You're beginning to sound like a Pharisee. And if you rely solely on your own strength, you're going to run into a wall. You're going to crash and burn. It's not going to happen. What you have to do is know that you are weak, but that Christ has given you the Spirit in you. And you have to rely on the Spirit of God in your heart and in you. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to follow through on your commitments. Some you'll be able to do, but sooner or later you're going to run into a wall. And you know, like that, that song says, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. You better take that to heart, because if you're going to be committed, you're going to need God's strength and spirit to get you through it.
Otherwise, it's just not going to work. Amen? Father, we, uh, you are the creator and sustainer of all, and we're gathered in here, here in your name to worship in spirit and in truth. You know we're weak, and we should know that as well. Grant us your strength and your spirit to guide us in the wisdom of the promises we make and the strength to be people of our word. God, you're the source of our righteousness through your son, Jesus Christ. And you've said that he leads us in the path of righteousness. Lord, keep us on that path. Keep us on that path. Let our promises and our words be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. And remind us each day of your grace and your love so that we can remind others who are in darkness of the need of salvation. The salvation has been given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.